0: Welcome back to the MOB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MOB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MOB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, August 3rd. We are just past the trade deadline, and of course, that's mostly what we're going to talk about, but also what teams have set themselves up for the rest of the season. That was the only trade deadline. There is no longer an August waiver period, for the most part, unless you want to go sign like a Dallas Keuchel out of the minors, which I don't know, maybe somebody will. These are the rosters we have. This is the way things are going to be set, and some teams... I almost want to say some teams are more notice notable for the moves. They didn't make than the ones they did, but we'll get into that, Matt. I want to, I want to make sure that, you know, and everybody knows we will not subject anybody to a review of all like 39 trades that were made. I know everybody really wants to talk about like uh, Jorge Lopez for Dylan Floro. Um, I don't think we're going to get that Austin hedges to Texas. That was a good one. I don't think we're going to get into that. Here's what we're going to do. Matt and I each wanted to focus on a couple of the deals we found the most interesting, all right? Not necessarily the biggest, but, you know, notable. Uh, we're going to talk about which teams came out of the deadline, the best positioned, and of course, we're going to talk about the teams that didn't do anything and why, and I swear it won't just be the Yankees, although, of course, it's going to be a little bit about the Yankees. Matt, before we get into the deals we found f- most fascinating, did you find that the deals we saw weren't as earth-shattering as in previous years? And if so, is that only because we got spoiled by Juan Soto getting traded last year? I think so. Um, I think that, like, the... Because like nowadays, you don't get the big
1: trades for rentals anymore. So you need that, like, the perfect confluence of events, which is essentially... Now it's guys who are a year and a half free agency who are kind of like the hot commodities at the trade deadline. Like, I guess, Juan Soto last year was two and a half years from free agency. So it's one and a half or two and a half years playing for a team that is not only selling bad that year, but it's probably going to be bad for a couple of years. So it's like the Nats were a rebuilding team. So it was like super duper star player on a team that's out of it this year and doesn't plan to contend next year either. So it's like when you have those two conditions, it means that you're not really going to get the like super, you're not going to get these huge trades at the deadline because there's just not that many players who fit that, that, those categories.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's also the expanded playoffs to some extent. Uh, more teams think they can be in. There are fewer sellers. I had identified the other day nine teams who I considered to be like totally out of it. And some of those teams like the Mets and Cardinals sold. And then some of those teams are like, you know, the A's and the Rockies. Uh, by the way, credit to the Rockies. They don't usually sell their free agents. They did that. Credit to the Rockies. All right, Matt, you and I have each identified uh, a couple of trades we found most fascinating i want to start with the we're going to call it the double jake trade i've this one blew me away right i know this is not like earth shattering for most people but this is the one i want to talk about the white Sox traded away jake Berger to miami for pitching prospect jake eater there are so many jakes here jake westbrook was not a part of this trade jake arietta was not a part of this trade jake Berger for jake eater i'm pretty sure i can't remember if it was you or me one of us had jake Berger as one of our guys like capital g guys earlier this year Brief backstory here, first round pick a bunch of years ago, had a number of leg injuries, Achilles injuries, uh, didn't play for like three full seasons, talked about what that did to his mental health, like came back this year, he's great, 25 home runs with the White Sox, like a, just a heartwarming, very good story in a very bad White Sox year, and then they traded him. So that's the first thing that stood out to me, which is, man, he he's not going to be a free agent till 2029, and the White Sox are going through some things. And they finally have this as, like, their best story of the year, and they traded him. So that's, like, the first thing. It's a little bit of a, huh. what do they know? And part of it is there's a little bit of, like, an old-school, new-school stats thing going on here. 25 home runs in half the season is great. 279 on base percentage is a little less great. Um, he can stand at a couple of places on the infield, but he's not a good defender. He's a very old-school, like, I, I kind of heard him compared to, like, sort of a teoscar hernandez type and i'm not sure i would go that far anyway uh they traded him one-on-one to the marlins uh in order to get it back jake eater who is a reasonably well-regarded pitching prospect um i think i think the white Sox did well here and the marlins were reversing last year's strategy last winter it was we're gonna make contact that's what we're gonna do we're gonna be the contact team hey lisa rise has been great i'm not complaining about this um but now their infield defense is Josh Bell, who they traded for Cleveland, Arise at second, Joey Wendell at short, Berger at third. And is there one plus defender? No. Is anybody there a decent defender? This one blew me away just because you don't really see this kind of one-for-one, youngish guy, challenge-ish trade. Uh, do you, Where? What did you think when you saw this? I thought
1: it was a really interesting trade for a variety of reasons. And I think, you know, you're kind of hinting at it. It's like there are certain types of trades we're used to seeing at the deadline. And like, I think a lot of people thought, oh, like the Marlins, they'll just go add like, you know, uh, a rental outfield bat, you know, and that's kind of just like what you see at the deadline. It's like, oh, we'll send you some, you know, lottery ticket A-ball prospect for your free agent to be outfielder, a Tommy Pham type. And so then to go trade for a guy who's – got two more years before arbitration, who's also not, he's actually not that young because of all those injuries. I think he's 26 or 27, um, for a pitching prospect who also has had Tommy down It just like, it defied like the usual archetypes of trades we see at the deadline. So I just thought it was really, really interesting. And I, you're right about, uh, you're right about the OBP stuff and you're right about the infield defense. Cause that infield defense. And I, Joey Wendell one of those players who I sort of irrationally like. I just think that like, for, he's one of the guys I just, I like him as a player. Uh, but as a shortstop, as a starting shortstop, it's, it's not a great infield defense. But the Marlins said, look, we need, they identified, we could use some power. Berger helps. Josh Bell, in theory, helps. But like, it's a, it's a, a unique trade, I'll say that.
0: Would you agree with me that the overwhelming part of Jake Berger's value is the ability to hit home runs? right? I mean, he's gotten a couple of balls north of 118 exit velocity this year, which, like, nobody ever does. He doesn't draw a lot of walks. You know, it, it mostly hits home runs. He, at the time of the trade, uh, had a 990 OPS at home and a 618 on the road, and when I went and I looked up right-handed park factors at Baseball Savant uh, just for home runs, which parks are the best for right-handers hitting home runs. The White Sox, guaranteed right field was fifth best. The Marlins uh, Lone Depot Park was 28th. Like it's it's taking him to a park where, you know, I, I guess they're identifying a guy with the lead exit velocity as someone we need in that park. And that's totally fine. I didn't love the Marlins entire deadline. I guess we'll get back to that in a minute because you've got a Marlins one there. Um but yeah, good for the White Sox on this. Like the disaster season I, I like sort of selling high, I guess is the way to put it. Because Burger, as we talked about his backstory, you weren't sure if you were ever gonna get anything out of him, he finally makes it happen. And I, I think they looked at this and said, hey, this is great. I can't believe we turned this into like a really good pitching prospect. That's what we're going to do.
1: One cool tidbit I'd like to mention before we transition is that um, on November 30th, November 13th, 2020, the day Kim Eng was hired, Jake Berger tweeted that day. He tweeted, ever since my sister was little, she wanted to work in baseball and eventually become a GM. It almost seemed impossible to her until this hire was made. I know Kim Eng has inspired my sister today and will continue to inspire her throughout her career. And Jake Berger's sister yesterday retweeted, after the trade, retweeted um, her brother's tweet from from 2020 and said, had to find this and share the excitement Jake had when Kimming was hired as the first woman GM. Now he gets to play under her. What a full circle moment. His sister Ellie Berger is actually the tennis coach at Missouri State, which is where Jake went to
0: college, which is pretty cool. Hey, that's that's actually very cool. Thank you for finding the last good thing that will happen on Twitter which moves like stood out to you? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a natural transition,
1: so we'll stay we'll stay with the the Marlins, but it's actually I mean, we'll look at it from both perspectives, but I think the David Robertson trade to the Marlins was interesting to me for a variety of reasons. Um it's a pretty classic deadline trade. It's like, "Oh, we are surprise contenders. We need to beef up our bullpen. We will trade for a rental reliever and we will, we will trade you a couple of lottery ticket A-ball prospects." You know, Marco Vargas is the classic guy like He may become nothing. He's also maybe the guy, like, there are some indicators that, like, he could be a really good big leaguer down the road, but, like, we're years away from finding out. But I thought it was interesting because I thought it was, like, a clear domino. And if you actually go and look at my slacks with colleague Andrew Simon on Friday morning, I said to him, after the trade was happening, because it happened, like, four days before the deadline, and a lot of people were like, why are the Mets doing this now? They could do this, like, the day of the deadline. Maybe they should play out this weekend against the Nationals and see where they are in the standings. And I said to Andrew, I said, I didn't think... Scheriser and Verlander were gonna get traded until now. Cause I think that this was a this was basically the Mets way of saying to Scherzer and Verlander, you got four days now. If you wanna think about waiving your nerd trade clause, you should, because we're cleaning house. And I didn't think that Verlander and Scherzer would get traded. I thought they would probably try and keep Verlander because they were like, oh, we want to compete in 2024. They don't really have much pitching. Um, so I thought that was really interesting that like it seemed like it actually played out that way because like very quickly the next night, Scherzer was like, uh, I don't know what's going on here. And then literally like 12 hours later, he was traded. <laughs> and then 48 hours after that, uh, Verlander was traded. So it, it to me, it actually felt like choreographed is the wrong word like calculated it was like clearly part of a plan that i think actually like kind of seemed to play out as maybe the mets hoped it would and we'll see long term how these things work but i thought that was interesting because of all the way that the dominoes fell subsequently after the robertson trade
0: and i know what i'm about to say doesn't actually matter this is not the way to evaluate a trade i 100 percent know this David Robertson has been awful for the so far. He got three games. He's given up home runs in each of the last two. Uh, he blew a big one. I mean, that's, it, I will not pretend that I know very much about the minor leaguers that the Mets caught. You know, I'm, I'm not a low level prospect hound, but people I follow who I do respect love Marco Vargas. Um, I, I that for 20 innings or so of Robertson, which is what they were going to get uh, at the end of a season that was pretty much done. To get a lottery ticket, sure. That was a pretty good deal for the Mets. I actually like what the Mets have done, and I'm not just saying that because I'm watching Max Scherzer struggle to throw strikes right now. Um, Certainly, that's a larger conversation. The fact that their season has been a disaster is not the plan, but turning that around, I thought, for those guys, was good. I'm with you. I thought that was an interesting one. Here's the other one I wanted to talk about. Uh, I guess, unintentionally, I picked two for one, one for one trades. I guess those fascinate me in a way I didn't realize. Cleveland traded starter Aaron Savalli to Tampa Bay for first base prospect Kyle Manzardo. That was interesting uh, because Cleveland at the time was one half game out in the American League Central behind the twins. Savali's having a very good year, right? a 234 ERA. and more than that, I don't know if you've noticed, the Cleveland rotation is in absolute tatters. Bieber is probably out for the year, and Tristan McKenzie's been hurt, and they've got all these young guys who are pitching reasonably well, but they're coming up on innings limits, or at least not limits, will have pitched more than they ever have before. Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams, and all these other guys. And then they go and trade, not just a rental, like two and a half years of Savali for a first base only prospect. That one stood out to me because you just don't see that. You're a half game out. Now, the more you think about it, I think the more it makes sense, right? You're definitely selling high in Savale, who is hurt pretty much every year. Every ERA estimator says 234 is not real. He's more like a 450 guy. And, you know, the Guardians always need bats. And Manzardo, even though he's injured at the moment, uh, is expected to be a pretty good hitter. So, like, I get that for the future. It just looks like you're not trying to win the division, which this is going to sound wrong. I sort of get they are the 10th best team in the American league 11th they're better than like Oakland and the rest of the American league central other than the twins and like that's it so I sort of wonder if they're saying hey we can get this guy we think it's going to be a good bat for the next couple years we're not going to worry about this year because even if we win the division that's like a cherry on top meanwhile the Rays are sort of loaded in first base DH prospects they got Diaz for the next couple years they got a couple of really good guys Curtis Mead is probably going to be one of those guys and they Probably will turn Aaron Savali into the pitcher that the Guardians thought they could make him into. That's what's weird. It's not like coming from the Rockies. Cleveland's a pitching factory, but they're going to make him into, I don't know, their next Robert Stevenson, and Zach Eflin. Because just what the Rays do. I love one-for-one trades like this.
1: Yeah, I mean that your point about like oh the ERA estimators know that he's more of a four ERA pitcher than a two point four. Like I'm pretty sure the Rays are aware of this, right? Like, the, like oh, yeah. that's like it's yes. so like it, the, the Rays clearly know this and are probably th- are comfortable with the pitcher they're getting. And if there's any organization I trust with a you know sort of a pitcher to sort of get the most out of them, it's the Rays. But the Guardians they need p- players like this, right? They they desperately need power bats. You know J- Josh Bell. Did not work out for them, although he had like three hits in his first game for the Marlins. So, but this is what they need. And, but it's still, it's still weird. And we'll talk more later about the teams that really didn't do anything to increase their odds. And I think even though the Guardians made moves, they didn't really do anything to increase their odds. We talked about them trading Ahmed Rosario last week for Noah Syndergaard, and Noah Syndergaard in his first outing had one of the weirdest outings in Major League history where it was like, what, five and two-thirds and no runs allowed, but it was like the biggest, since we start tracking, correct me if I'm wrong, since we started tracking literally the biggest gap in a starting pitcher between
0: their expected weight on base and weight on base in a specific game, yeah, so what happened was, uh, since you brought it up, he, he ended up with an earned run on his record, but there was just runners on base and the reliever let in one of those runs. Um, and I was so funny. Everybody was watching and going, wow, he's shutting out the Astros in Houston. Syndergaard's dealing. And I looked at it and I'm going, hold up. Zero strikeouts, uh, two swinging strikes, at least when I looked in the fifth. I don't know if he got more than that. And four different flyouts of more than 350 feet that somehow didn't go out of Houston. So, yes, you're right. I looked up every start. In the StatCast era, since 2015, where a pitcher threw to at least 20 batters and the largest gap between expected and actual outcomes. Uh, it's great when that, that matches the eye test so well. Doesn't make me feel great about what's going forward. And met Rosario hit a home run last night. Dodgers won the trade. Definitely love that one, for sure. Which other one did you want to talk about? The other one
1: I want to talk about is kind of the opposite of the David Robertson trade, and that was the Eduardo Rodriguez non-trade, um, where basically you know as as you know reports have kind of come out and there's been no Rodriguez spoke on the record and his agent put out a statement so like there are voices out there but basically he had a limited no team 10 a 10 team no trade clause the Dodgers and Tigers Dodgers reached a deal with the Tigers to acquire Rodriguez and then Rodriguez and his agent used the no trade clause to veto the deal apparently they had tried to negotiate some extra money according to Ken Rosenthal it didn't work out and Rodriguez said you know what I'd rather like I'm comfortable here he, he left the team last year for some personal issues. So I think there's stuff, you know, I, I'm not going to speculate beyond just kind of what's the speculation that's already kind of out there. And maybe it's just like, I've I feel comfortable here. I'm going to stay here. And that's all reasonable. And I just think it's kind of like not a great job by the Tigers to like to go to the last day. Like, you know, like, as I said before. It was pretty clear to me at least from the outside that like the Mets were like, okay, we're gonna try and like figure this out now because we know it's not gonna be easy to trade Scherzer and Verlander. So we're gonna try and get the wheels in motion a few days before the deadline, because like this may take some negotiations with no trade clauses and money changing hands. And it felt like if the Tigers were gonna try and trade Rodriguez, they really should have made sure to take care of business a few days out and not wait until the last minute to try and get it done. Cause then it fell apart and there was no time to sort of figure out any sort of alternative because obviously they wanted to trade rodriguez he is probably going to opt out this year he has three for 49 left on his deal he will almost certainly get more than that on his deal this offseason or maybe he will use it as leverage to get more money if you, it might be true that hey i want to stay with detroit and al central is weak enough that the tigers could possibly win that division in the next couple of years with eduardo rodriguez is a key part of that team and he might negotiate an extension as part of it but it's clear the Tigers wanted to try and live in for prospects and that fell apart. And that was one of the more interesting, I guess, pieces of information that happened on the deadline, although it was not a transaction that actually happened.
0: Yeah, for sure. And the Dodgers didn't end up getting the starting pitcher they wanted. So for Rodriguez, as you said, there were reports last year, he had all sorts of marital issues and neither one of us can speculate on the severity of that. And he had, you know, he had earned the right to have a no trade clause. Like it's part of his contract. So perfectly within his rights to exercise it. What I wonder is, if this is gonna if this is gonna affect him on the market this winter, right? Because you know he'll probably have a good remainder of the season and he'll probably opt out. There's a version of this though where he had gone to the Dodgers, pitched well in the postseason, and then opted out, right? And that he's even more valuable on the post on the, the market this winter. I guess you will never know. I mean, it sounds like what happened, you know, from the Dodgers' point of view is they were in on everybody and they thought this was gonna work. And I think where I'm with you is it's weird that both teams wouldn't not both teams but the Tigers at least wouldn't have had like absolute certainty as to what what the player wanted before like I don't know 15 minutes before the deadline because then then it's too late and it scrambles and I you know I don't know that Ryan Yarborough and Lance Lynn were the prizes that the Dodgers were uh, hoping to take away as far as and Joe Kelly as far as uh, the pitching market goes bonus trade I know he said two each but um, I know you want to do a bonus one here you really want to talk about a reliever for optioned to the miners reliever trade. That's that's the big ticket one here. Well I think it's I mean like just
1: the way the diamondbacks did was interesting. Acquiring Paul walled and then a minute later trading away Andrew Chafen was just like a strange turn of events. And I guess we've seen more of this in the deadline in recent years of teams trying to like occupy not necessarily this like buy buy sell but just sort of like reallocation. You just don't normally see that because like Andrew Chafen is still like a solid reliever and you're trying to compete for a playoff spot, and like bullpen depth is like a really, really important thing. Uh, I think I don't want to, not to state the obvious. So it just felt very strange to me to see the Diamondbacks um, trade for Seawald and then also trade like a, a, a. So for Tommy Pham, they trade a guy, they, a, a teenage prospect they signed for like more than a million dollars last year, like a real prospect for Tommy Pham a Rental, which is like, hey, these are. I'm not judging the moves because I don't know nothing about this kid, but those are, we are in it to win it moves. And then the trade away Chafin was just a really strange sort of combination of things for me that I'm still not really sure I can wrap my head around.
0: Yeah, when they they traded for FEM, everybody on the planet knew FEM was getting traded. Arizona is not a place I expected it and when I saw that at first I was like, "Oh, that's surprising. They got plenty of outfielders." And then I looked at it and it was like, "Oh, Lourdes Gurriel has been brutal for weeks, you know, and the younger guys who aren't Corbin Carroll have not really performed that well and it's like, yeah, that that lineup is short of batter too." So for uh like the guy was like what 17 you know it's like a million miles away from the miners i did not have a problem with that one the reliever one so Schaefer got traded to milwaukee for peter Strzelecki, and i guess what the diamondbacks have said is they thought they had enough lefty depth right kyle nelson's a lefty joe mantipi who's in the miners is a lefty tyler gilbert's been pitching well and mike kazan said quote we felt like we needed to lengthen our depth in right-handed relief what he didn't say, which is what I'm sure is true, also Strzelczyk can't be a free agent until 2029, and Chafin is a much older veteran who has a club option for next year. It is—I'm uh, with you. I mean, if you if you want to just look at the remainder of this year, Chafin will help them more than Peter But Honestly, the difference between the two in terms of their postseason odds are probably zero. And uh, I guess that's a good segue because we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about which teams came out of the deadline the best. We'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. This week, we're focusing on the trade deadline. We want to talk about which teams came out of it the best. There's really a number of different ways that you can do this. You can simply compare the projected wins above replacement. You can look at the projected playoff odds. You can simply just look at the guys who are moved and say... I like this team better than that. It's, it's an inexact science. Uh, a couple of our friends have attempted to put some math to it. Uh, Eno Saris at The Athletic looked at each team's wins above replacement rankings, and he came away with the fact that the Cubs did the best, which is interesting because they didn't do a whole lot. But on the other hand, when you think about like the Cardinals moving backwards and other teams moving backwards, you could stand still and still move ahead, if that makes sense. Uh, so he had the Cardinals, Brewers, Red Sox, Rangers, Astros, Den Zimborski, who runs the Zips projection system, went and looked at everyone's playoff odds before and after he came away with rangers cubs burrs astros which is uh, very similar Uh, but this is one note that dan had that i thought was really interesting he's been doing this for a long time and he said this is the smallest projection change for a team on top of the chart in all the years i've been doing this so basically what he said was the moves didn't really move the needle a whole lot uh, at least in terms of making the playoffs i think you know, we can look back at when, when somebody gets that third wild card and say, oh, yeah, Mark Canna Mark went off for like three weeks and that definitely did it. Um, but it doesn't seem like anybody really like totally changed the way that their team is constructed. The, the two teams I think that stand out to me um, were ones that appeared on both these lists the Rangers and the Cubs. Here is my hottest Rangers take, Matt. The best starting pitcher they acquired for the remainder of the season is Jordan Montgomery, <laughs> not Max Scherzer. Are we ready for this? Who's going to disagree with me? Is it you? I'd like to hear the case. Oh, now I have to make a case? Oh, man. Uh, Okay, here's the case. Uh, Max Scherzer is a no-doubt slam-dunk Hall of Famer, without question, first ballot. He's just not pitching like that this year. You know, he was fine for the Mets. Uh, You know, 401 ERA, and the strikeout rate was down. He's not looking that good today. I think Montgomery is underrated. I think the truth is they really did need both. You know, of all the it's on the injured list right now. Most of their other starting pitchers have been struggling. Obviously, Degrom's not coming back. Uh, the other thing about the Rangers, when we think about the deadline, we tend to think of like the last I don't know week. Remember, it's the end of June. They got of roll to Chabot which is like a huge deal. We, people tend to forget that, uh, and he's been very good for them. He is one of the few game-changing relievers, I think, around. And you know, the Rangers are in a tight fight. And you know what I said? I wasn't going to talk about it, but they got Austin Hedges, right? He cannot hit better than I can. Like, if you look at the, we're on a little zoom call here. It's me and Matt and our producer, Alex. And if you put Austin Hedges in this room, I would say the four of us are equal quality hitters. That's how dire it is. Um, But if you look at the defensive metrics, he is maybe the best defender in baseball, which makes sense because the way he hits, if he's still in baseball, it's because he's a great defender. And the Rangers lost Jonah Heim, who was an all-star who hurt his wrist. And it's unclear if he's going to be back before the end of the season. And if you can go out and get Austin Hedges to, like, you know, back up Mitch Garver, who hit a home run today, and you know, manage a pitching staff, that's one of those under the radar deals that I, I think will be hard to see the value in, but I really like it nonetheless.
1: I wonder how much this analysis would change if the Astros hadn't gone out and acquired Justin Verlander. Like if, you know, the Rangers, I f- imagine the gap would have been a lot, maybe not a lot larger, but like... You know, the the Rangers basically went, and I'm curious if they would have still done it if the Rangers had not gotten Scherzer, if they still would have felt motivated to go get Verlander. But basically they went and and reacted directly to what the Rangers were doing by adding starting pitcher by maybe adding the, it's again, Verlander is not the same guy, but he's been like reasonably effective. Um, So I feel like, you know, Dan Zaworski said this is the smallest he's ever seen. I wonder how different it would look
0: if the Astros hadn't acquired Verlander. Does that make sense? It it does. I saw one take, and I cannot for the life of me remember who said it, so I I apologize. And this this might be giving Steve Cohen too much credit. It might be a little galaxy-brained, but the idea was basically, well, because the Mets sent Scherzer to Texas, that motivated Houston and kind of got the Verlander market going. And by doing that, they juiced their own market and got a better return for Verlander. And they did, by the way. They got a really good return for Justin Verlander, which, you know, as we've talked about internally here, If they wanted Verlander, they could have just re-signed him last year and not have to send away these top prospects. Like you know, Drew Gilbert's really good. Um, I think what the Mets did there to re you know reallocate that money, even though this year is a a mess. And I know there were a lot of comments that came out after Max Scherzer talked to Billy Epler that worked out. The the Cubs one is fun for me. Um, Schiermer Candelario, I did not think he was going back home, and I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, the first two games that he has played with the Cubs. He went four for five in the first game and went four for five in the second game. And the Cubs beat the Reds by a cumulative score of 1,100 to 13. That's not a typo. That's that's basically how it happened. The Cubs are, you know, when you look at what should my team do, um, you, you try to look at it in the long view. You know, you try not to get sucked in by small sample size. And it, the Cubs kept winning. And even though I don't buy into what Cody Bellinger is doing at all, and then uh, Marcus Stroman is injured. They kept winning, and now they're, they're back in the playoff race. And they said, not only are we not selling, we're buying. And Candelario has looked great, obviously. I don't I don't know that I totally buy into the Cubs, but I think I'm happy they didn't tear it down. They're in a better position than they were. For sure. I mean, as
1: an indication of those first two games of Candelario back with the Cubs, uh, Luke Malley pitched in a, a catcher, uh, pitched in both games for the Reds. So, that's how things that are bad? going for them. We'll, we'll talk about them in a second. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Cubs, I mean, they have run differential is not everything, and these last two games have perhaps skewed a little bit, but they have by far the best run differential in their division. They are plus 77. The Brewers are minus 17. The Reds are minus – the uh, sorry, the Brewers are minus 15. The Reds are minus 17. I did not see this coming. I thought the Cubs would be better, would be like a competitive team this year. But, as you said, they've kept winning. And – trading Bellinger didn't really make sense because they can give him a qualifying offer this offseason. And Stroman was tough because I think these these pitchers with with opt-outs are very tricky to trade for because the team who's acquiring them is sort of taking on all the risk because they know, oh, if I give up a lot for him and he bolts, I gave up a lot and he, I, and he bolted, I can't give him a qualifying offer. But if he stays, it's only because he either pitched terribly or got hurt. So it's like, and and Stroman did get hurt, and he's out on the IL now. And that might be the th- biggest thing that hurts the Cubs' playoff odds going forward right now because it's a hip injury. It's unclear he's not been effective recently. It's unclear what they're going to get from him um, in the for the rest of the season. So that said, like if the Cubs makes it more interesting. That race could be an interesting three team race. And now actually the, the the NL wild card race is such that like it looked like maybe the NL Central would only get one team in, but now they're like all firmly in the wild card race. So it's 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 pretty wide open. So it's. The more contenders, the better, the more fun MLB TV is to watch every night. So there's more options for the viewer to see games that have playoff
0: playoff implications. So I'm here for it. No, I, I refuse to acknowledge a scenario where the Central's get more than one team. That's, uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Did you know? the cubs have the most played appearances in baseball this year with a runner and scoring position literally at the cubs that was surprising to me because i don't look at them as like this super deep lineup but um that's the way it's been all right we're gonna take a break we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about some of the teams that didn't really do anything We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. In lieu of talking about a couple of guys you should know more about, which we will definitely bring back this week, we're going to finish off our trade deadline talk by running through some of the teams that didn't do anything at all. You may have heard us just talk about how the Chicago Cubs absolutely ruined Cincinnati Reds pitching, so let's talk about that. The Reds uh, desperately needed some pitching, and they didn't—they didn't really do anything. And I get it, right? They're probably a year ahead of schedule. This isn't necessarily the time to go all in, you know. They've got all these young prospects, but they're also, uh, at least at, at the time I'm looking at it here, in first place by half a game. And I know we're going to get Hunter Green back. We're going to get Nick Lodolo back. Fine. I don't know that I would rely necessarily on the health of either of those guys. It really feels to me like there's two ways you could have gone about this, right? You could have traded for a veteran rental in Jordan Montgomery just to improve your chances for this season. That's fine. But I, I wouldn't have hated the long-term you know, outlook here, like a Dylan Cease. You might say, well, we've got lots of young pitching coming up. That's great, but also, why don't you have Dylan Cease? Could you have done that without Ellie Day or Cruz? Yeah, I'm sure. You. Have, this is a team that has so many infielders. A lot of these words I'm saying are exactly the words I would say about the Orioles, by the way, and may say about the Orioles in about six minutes. You could have traded for some kind of pitcher... And I just feel like it's a missed opportunity, you know. Uh, it, 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 you're in first place, and your rotation is a huge hole, and nothing happened here. Have you read anything that explains this, Matt?
1: Nothing. Uh, and I admit I've not read everything about the Reds, but I've not seen a great explanation yet. And I'm 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 with you. I just think, and this apply this you know this applies to the Orioles. And maybe we should talk about them next. I just think that teams still don't do a good enough job of just sort of like baking in like starting pitching depth attrition over the course of a season and i'm not even just talking about injuries although injuries is part of it it's just like it is a long year and there are very few pitchers in baseball period who you can feel like are trustworthy to be like effective consistently over the course of a full season and like the reds don't really have any of them so like they need bulk is whether they just need more people who are capable of giving them like decent innings even if they're not stars but but like if they had tried to go the route of be like, hey, let's trade Noel Marte for like a Dylan Cease kind of thing, that would have made sense. But even still, just like some more reliable pitchers. Because even like Nick Lodolo, Nick Lodolo was like pretty ineffective this season. Like he's not, he's not a plan. Like Hunter Green at least, okay, now has a little bit of a track record of being a pretty good pitcher. He's not perfect, but like he will help. Like Nick Lodolo, it's unclear if you actually want him in your rotation, pitching beginnings down the stretch the way he, the way he looked earlier this season. So that's like, for me, that's the issue. Like, even looking at the Reds, like, you know, two months ago when they were like the night they started as like the the, the feel good story of the year, I was looking at the pitching staff. I was like, how are they going to get through the season with this staff? And like, that's where we are right now. And we saw it the last two days at Wrigley Field, where they've got a backup catcher pitching in multiple games. You know, Ben Lively giving up 13 runs the other night starting for the Reds. So it's just like, this is, you know, there is no, it used to be, you know, August 31st, you could still grab a couple of like scrap heap guys to get you through the final month of the season. This is it. This is the trade deadline. So to not do anything is just kind of a, 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 a missed opportunity. And if I was a fan it would feel like a big bummer.
0: Yeah. I, I don't like to lean on vibes too much, but if you think about the reds, the vibes coming into the season, were not great. Right. Because of a lot of reasons. And then all of a sudden they were the king of vibes. And then now you're sort of letting some of that go. Do do you know, Matt, what ranking they have in uh, starting rotation, fan graphs, rest of season projections of the 30 teams? Where are the Reds ranked? Whoa. Yeah, but better than you think. 22nd. Uh, okay. Tw- Do you know it's 21st? Uh, the very, very similar Baltimore Orioles, who at least did make a trade. Jack Flaherty is going to start. He might actually be starting already. But anyway, the game is supposed to be on about the same time as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Jack Flaherty is an interesting ad. Um, I, I like him as a guy getting out of uh, a weird situation in St. Louis to see if he can maybe shove in the playoffs or a playoff push for the Orioles. It certainly has not been the same kind of guy the last couple of years. Like when his velocity is on, he's fine. When his velocity is down, he gets hit real hard and it does seem to be like a start to start basis for that. They didn't add anybody aside from him, you know, Dylan Cease was a guy everybody talked about there. I assume the White Sox had some massive, you know, uh, demand for that, which is fine, but again, they've got tons of infielders, they've got the prospects. They seem to not have worried too much about the fact that the bullpen is getting overworked because uh Jean-Yves Cano is certainly not the same guy he was earlier in the season. Felix Bautista still looks great, but there are only so many days in a row you can pitch him uh, all the time. And Matt, I don't know if you watched any of the Orioles-Blue Jays game last night, but they brought in Shintaro Fujinami, and it was tough to watch. He hit, I don't remember, let's say 11 batters. Uh, walked in a couple runs. He looked like he could not throw a strike. I, I, I would have been frightened to stand in the box, I think because he's got one of the strongest arms in baseball and no idea where the ball is going. And I don't know how you trust him right now. And I kind of thought they would get another bullpen arm to kind of back those guys up.
1: Yeah, Cano is like the perfect example of the phenomenon I was talking about before, where it's like, this is his first year of being an effective, like excellent, all-star level reliever. And I'm not saying, like, he's been pretty ineffective for a few weeks now. And I'm not saying he can't recapture it. It could just be like long season. Maybe they give him a little more rest than usual. You know, you've talked about his arm arm slot dropping and like there's like visible, like, things you can point to that suggest that show why he's been less effective, but he's exactly the kind of guy where it's like, are we really just going to assume he's going to be unhittable the entire season? Like, it's not, you can't really make that assumption. And I do think like the Orioles probably m- more so than the Reds and Hey, like they've built this really great core of young players, especially young position players. Michael Elias clearly knows what he's doing, right? Like this is like, you know, he was part of the Ast- you know Astros front office. Like, Insert your joke about sign stealing here, but like it was player development machine. Those are good players. He's done similar things in in Baltimore, but there's still always there feels like this vibe. And it goes back to this offseason where like they didn't make a move to acquire a starting pitcher. Now, then again, I think you and I were like, oh, they should sign Carlos Rodon. I'm not sure how much he would have helped. Maybe right now, he guess, actually,
0: I said Degrom. So yeah,
1: <laughs> but like there definitely feels like as much as any team this like we don't want to just make a transaction. We want to make sure we win every transaction. And like transactions don't have to be a zero-sum game. And that's just like the vibe you get from the, or at least I should say the vibe I get from the Orioles. And it was sort of the offseason, You saw it now. Hey, like they might say, look, like you're right. And we think we're well set up for the next seven years in a really tough division. And we don't want to give up any player that we don't, unless it's the really the right trade and we didn't find the right trade for us. Like I get it, but just like, from a fan standpoint, Jack Flaherty. The idea of Jack Flaherty is great, but like he hasn't been the person we think of as Jack Flaherty. 2019 was really like the one great year he's had. That's a long time ago, as you noted. The velo is basically on average down like more than a mile per hour on his fastball from like from his peak. Like it's just it's he's more of an idea and like a name than he is like oh a guy I'm excited to have start a playoff game for me.
0: He apparently in the first inning while we've been talking did touch 97, so that's not nothing love to hear that certainly (laughs) he's not he's not sitting at 97 but if he hit it even once i will take it i think you're right about the uh the way this front office operates about trying to win every trade right and you increment and increment building your way back up but you once you reach a certain point it's like you have to buy the porsche even though the porsche is a bad investment the moment you drive it off the lot and if you don't drive the porsche Eventually, the other Porsches are just going to beat you, even though I'm running out of like automobile <laughs> uh, metaphors here. But I, I think you get the idea, you know. Um, two other teams I want to talk about: the Twins, who I believe the Twins improved their playoff odds by doing nothing, just because Cleveland hurt their playoff odds, and the other three teams are irrelevant. And boy, Twins fans are not happy. They they weren't even looking for that much, right? I know Joe Ryan has not. Been very good lately, but for the first time in forever. That's that's an understatement. He's given up 17 home runs in his last 32 innings. Is that bad? Do you not want that? Anyway, the the rotation for the first time in forever, the twins have not been like actively desperate for rotation help, right? What they needed was a bullpen improvement and a right-handed hitting outfielder because they have way too many left-handed hitting outfielders. Those are mild things to ask at the deadline, right? They didn't do either. And I wonder how much of it is we think Cleveland stinks, so we're gonna win this division. I wonder how much of it is looking back at last year where they made big moves that have absolutely exploded in their faces, right? They had Junior you Cheno, know, they traded him, Jorge Lopez failed, uh, Tyler Molle got hurt. None of those trades have actually worked out. And I, I, I don't know, I wonder if it's also the same kind of thing of we, we don't want to lose a trade, right? You could have traded Matt Wallner, you could have traded, I don't know, Trevor Larnack. you could have done something and said they did nothing. And I think that's a, that is rough for Twins fans, even though, and this is cynical, Nothing matters if Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton don't start crushing the ball,
1: and that's the thing that like you know Derek Falvey can't say right, which is like the ceiling of our team depends on those guys playing like something close to all stars, and they have not been anything close to all stars this year. Um, And it's, I mean, it's Correa has been. It looked like he might be. They moved to the number one spot in the lineup. He was leading off. It looked like he might start to pop, and then it's just. No, it just isn't. It isn't happening. I really don't know what's going on there. Um, and then Buxton, you know, it's just it's just kind of the same old story. He's either not playing. When he is playing, he's striking out too much. He doesn't even play the field anymore. It's kind of a bummer uh, that those two guys. It looked like it could be an exciting duo in Minnesota. Like you know, that Minnesota had both those guys locked up for years, and they're still young enough that like it wouldn't shock me if they had some some big years. So there's that. But right now. They need those guys to start playing like something close to like they're they're not even close to like being they're they're what are they playing at the twentieth percentile of their ceiling right now those guys like if that um, and that's the biggest thing that's holding the twins back unfortunately
0: all right final team I want to talk about Matt we both live in New York neither one of us are Yankee fans but we know a lot of Yankee fans we feel the angst of Yankee fans the Yankees who you know it's going to be a great trivia question some years down the road which two pitchers. Did the Yankees trade for at the 2023 trade deadline? And it's going to be, drumroll please, Spencer Howard and Keenan Middleton, who I like things about each of those guys. This is not what Yankee fans are going for. I I don't, this is a tough thing to say about any team, but I think especially the Yankees, the team was not good enough to add to. Right? Like they they have failed in pretty much every way a team can fail, except for like Garrett Cole, who's been very good. I know Judge is back. The thing that got me was they didn't make any trades to try to get a jump start on next year. I don't mean sell, I don't mean tank, I don't mean anything like that, but it felt like there could have been something they could have done to add some player to shake things up now who will still be here for next year right there's no shortage of places that could have been they need about a thousand outfielders right they need more pitchers they need almost everything everywhere and instead they chose to do nothing and i think that's that is tougher for yankee fans than for twins fans right because you're just basically saying we're okay you can watch the same team that you've watched all season long
1: yeah the vibes are not great with the yankees and i i have predicted their demise many times over the last few years and it never seems to happen um uh, but it does feel like they could be entering like a bit of like a low period. Um, but like you could tell, tell me otherwise. I mean, there's, you know, but it's just, the the depth at the major league roster is not great. And there's some interesting prospects coming through the minors. But like, and Volpe's probably been better than... Maybe it looks from like looking at his top line stats, but he certainly hasn't hit that well and doesn't necessarily look like give off the vibe of like, oh, this guy's going to be a star. He could be a good player, but maybe not a star, which was the expectation. Not to mention the fact that as good as Judge is, he misses a lot of time and it's hard to know exactly how he's going to to age. Um, So I could think that that's all part of like the the ancillary angst that's going on is not just this year but looking beyond i mean you shared a stat with me this morning that like blew my mind what is this like the yankees have the fewest runners in scoring position in baseball
0: like but what, what was you just make sure uh, i get this I right fewest played appearances yeah fewest played appearances with runners in baseball by like 50 behind the white Sox with runners in scoring position yes which is bad which you know you kind of want those to drive and run so they're just not like getting on base they're like everybody on this off like Anthony Rizzo looks like he's totally toast, which is wild because he looked really good to start the season. I I don't, you know, Sean Casey, the new hitting coach, is not going to fix this. No disrespect intended to him. It is an unfixable situation. I think that is the sad truth. Here is an here is an unanswerable question for you. Which New York team is back in the playoffs sooner? Um I think I'll always say the Yankees
1: by default, just because <laughs> You probably, you know, baseball history tells us as such, um, but, you know, the long term, I think the Mets have positioned themselves pretty well. And there's also, I mean, like, it's, it's funny, like, there's all this angst of like, oh, like, the, the, what Mark Max Scherzer's co- comments of like, oh, Billy Eppley told them they're not going to try and compete in 2024. And it's like, well, I mean, people thought they were going to be a great team this year, and the core is pretty much the same next year. They won't have Scherzer or Verlander, but they're going to replace them in some way with... Let's, just, let's say it's, I don't know, like, I'm trying to make, you know, who are, who are like mid level pitching free agents who are available this offseason? Like Can Lucas Giolito and
0: Mittal, Montgomery.
1: So, like, next year, let's say the exact same core with Montgomery and Lucas Giolito, right? Instead of like 40 year old Scherzer and Merlander. Like, if you thought the Mets were, you know, a juggernaut with those guys, they're probably at least a playoff team with, you know, the other, like, or a, a wild card contender. The Braves, there's no reason to think they're going to catch the Braves in 24, but like, it doesn't seem to think that they're they're like going to be like, suddenly be like a complete zero of a team. I don't know. But, uh, I think that like, what do you think? Who do you think? Which New York team do you think will be back in the playoffs first? No,
0: no. I asked you that because I didn't want to have to answer it. I, yeah, I'm the Mets. I don't know. The comments that were made to Scherzer didn't sound great, but I'm also not sure I fully buy into that. I think they will not get Otani this winter, nor will the Yankees, um, I don't think that they will be as highly hyped as they were coming into this year. I also don't think that they plan to let a full year go by without being competitive. That just does not seem to be what their plan is.
1: And I will, I will give you some credit, Mike, because on this podcast in the preseason, you definitely were like, "I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of the Mets. I'm, you know, they're they're old. Like, I, I see some real downside on this team. Yeah. So you were, oh. you were, you were on that.
0: Oh, okay. Well, it's time to wrap it up. I have old podcasts to go <laughs> listen to that will do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the ballpark dimensions podcast see you next week